We've been in our series, Acts, Multiply, a study through the book of Acts, and we are uh, working through show, seeing how God works through Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, through his church. And that's how we see the church multiply over time. And so typically, at this point, we would start uh, turning to the book of Acts. But as you can see, maybe, maybe you haven't seen in your worship guide, we're not going to be in Acts this morning. We have a significant day coming up here in America in two more days. Election Day. And this is the major one because it is uh, it includes presidential election. And the consensus, my understanding is that most people say we could not have two worst candidates for this election cycle. And Hillary Clinton, almost said Hillary Trump. <laughs> <laughs> Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And whether, and this morning, I've got a slight echo, Aaron. And, and where, no matter where you are on the political spectrum, whether it is Democrat or Republican, my goal is not to persuade you to vote one way or the other. Matter of fact, I hope that for a long time you never know where I am politically. As a matter of fact, it's actually illegal for me to tell you to vote for. Because I want you, when you hear the word of God explained and exposed, that your theology and your doctrine affects your politics. And so, as we prepare for Tuesday, November the 8th, how do we deal with this as we figure, as we determine who's going to be our next president? Hold on, I'm stuck in my wires here. For some of us, a few of us, some of you, if Hillary Clinton wins, you're going to celebrate and you'll be excited. For others of us, Others of you, you're going to think the world is ending. For some of you, if Donald Trump wins, you're going to say, well, we can, get our, we can make America great again. For others, you're going to say, well, Jesus, today is a good day for you to come back. <laughs> and so somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. Unless we have a 2000 issue, year 2000 issue again. Let's pray we don't. But what do we do as the body of Christ on Tuesday and for the next four years or eight years? I think the Bible has something to say about Election Day for us here in America in the book of Psalms. And Psalm number 146. Psalm number 146. Go there with me, if you will. 
I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. Psalm number 146. And we'll read this hymn in its entirety. Psalm number 146. And here's what this says, the word of God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who execute justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are out down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The psalmist opens up here in Psalm number 146, first of all, with a commitment to lifelong praise. He, he begins, first of all, with a commitment to lifelong praise of God. He, he, he opens up with the words, praise the Lord. Those, those words in the Hebrew are hallelujah. You, we get our word, you recognize that, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah is praise. Yah is Yahweh. So when he says here, when we say hallelujah, we're saying praise the Lord. The significant thing for us to realize here is that hallelujah is not just a verbal form of praise, but in the Psalms, hallelujah is a command. Hallelujah is an obligation. Hallelujah, church, is a reminder that we do not have the right to remain silent. Preach, Brandon, I'm doing my best already. <laughs> Bible says in Psalm 107 verse 2, it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say. So if you've been redeemed, you have to say so in the form of giving God praise. Notice here, he says, praise the Lord, and then there are no conditions. Uh -huh. In other words, he says, you have an obligation to give God praise whether you are introverted or extroverted. You've got an obligation to give God praise whether you are black or white. You have an obligation to give God praise whether you are Baptist or Pentecostal. You have an obligation to give God praise whether you are reserved or boisterous. 
Creator, you have an obligation to praise the Lord. But that's what the psalmist said. He said, there is no one who's exempt from this obligation of giving God praise. Church, must I remind you that our God is worthy to be praised. If I have one reason to give you, I can tell you, he woke you up this morning. And so that's reason enough to give God praise. But if you can't praise him for that, you ought to give him praise because he saved your sin-filled soul. You ought to give God praise because he painted the sky with blue and white. He, 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 he created the, the heavens and the earth. We have a reason to give God praise. And so this, this psalmist here, he says, praise is not something I'm just going to do on Sunday morning. He says, praise is not something I'll just do when the worship music is on. Praise is, is, is not something that I'll do just when God's been good to me, when, when I think so. It's not just when things are going good. He says, praise is going to be my lifelong pursuit. It's here in the text, verse 2, he says, I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. The psalmist says, I've got a made up mind that I'm going to praise the Lord for the rest of my days. This means that, that his praise is not determined by the mood of the moment. Preach, Brandon, I'm trying. In other words, he said my praise is not based on my circumstance in life. Ooh. That's the place to shout, actually. Because there are some of us, we want to praise God when things are going well. We want to give God praise when there's money in the bank. We want to give God praise when we've got four wheels. We want to give God praise when the children are acting right. And when the spouse is acting right. But some of us, we want to give God praise when things are going just like we think they're going. But what do you do when all hell breaks loose? What do you do when Satan declares war against your family? What do you do in that moment when you get the pink slip from the unemployer? Is God still worthy to be praised? And so the psalmist here says, I, I'm making this lifelong pursuit. All the days I have left, I'm going to give God praise. And church, that's why I, I just want to encourage you today. I don't know where you are in life. You may be in a season of prosperity, or you may be in a season of Whichever one you is, that the God is the God of both seasons. And he's still worthy to be praised. Okay, okay, that was a shouting point. Let's, get, let's move on now. He says there's this commitment to lifelong praise. So then he says, I'm going to praise the Lord. And I'm going to pray I'm praising him. He says, let me give you now, secondly, a command not to trust in man. A, a command, he moves from his commitment to a command. He says, since God is only worthy of praise, don't trust in princes. In other words, the word princes, the, it, it's referring to any kind of powerful person, i.e. the president, the speaker of the house. He says, don't trust in people who have significant influence. The word for trust means Confidence, security. Oh, we're going to work that out in small group this week. 
for some of you, because I've seen your Facebook post, you think the world's going to end if a certain individual is elected as president. And this psalmist helps us to, to remember that no matter who's elected on Tuesday, we shouldn't put our confidence in them either way. Why? Because there's no salvation in man. That's what the text says. That word salvation, it means to rescue, to, to deliver, to deliver. This psalmist essentially says, man, they can't save themselves, so they sure not going to be able to save you. How do we know they can't save themselves? Because they're going to die. and the ability to say that they can't even save themselves from death. Help us, help us, help us, sir. And so here we are, about to lose our hair. I got other reasons. <laughs> we're stressing out about Tuesday because we're concerned about who's going to be elected. Now, we ought to seek the welfare of the nation. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we ought to be careless and not vote. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. You better vote. As believers, I think that's one way we seek the welfare of the city is by voting. But I don't care who wins on Tuesday. Remember that neither one of them can be a savior. Look at verse 4. He says, when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And that old preacher's going to say, ashes to ashes. Yep. Yep. You can help me preach. Yeah. For, 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 for human beings, death is certain. And the psalmist says, when he die, all his plans going to die with him. I don't care who's on his cabinet. Thank you. He said, therefore, don't put your trust in people. Don't put your trust in Hillary. Don't put your trust in Donald. Don't put your trust in Gary. Y'all like, Gary who? <laughs> Watch this, I got one for you. Don't put your trust in Jim. <laughs> Green Party, right? Yeah. Jill Stein, all right. Or, or don't put your trust in Evan. That's the new evangelical favorite. He says, don't put your trust in princes. They can't save you, and they die. So he says, he's painted this dark picture of man. He says, now let me give you a contrast. He's moved from a commitment, a command to a contrast. Look, he says, blessed is the man, verse 5. Yeah. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, yeah. whose hope is in the Lord his God. That, that word for help is oftentimes used for somebody that provides military assistance. He says, I don't care how powerful the army is in you, the United States of America. He says, God can provide more help than they can. And so blessed is that man whose help is in God. That word for blessed, it's, it's a comprehensive term. It means happy, content, joyful, 
peaceful. During this election cycle, church, as believers, we can have joy in knowing that God is our help and our hope. Church, I don't know about you, but my hope is not in a Democrat. They don't let me down. My hope is not in a Republican. They don't let me down. My hope is in a Libertarian. I never tried them. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. <laughs> but my hope is in the God who reigns over the Democrats and the Republicans. He said, your hope ought to be in the God who created the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything that is in them. Look at that verse, last line in verse 6. He says, for God is faithful forever. Notice the contrast here. Man is temporal. He's a mortal. He dies on you. But he says here that God is faithful forever. Question. I know, I hear you, I hear you. You said, so how, how is God faithful forever? I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you, first, the text says that Christ executes justice for the oppressed. Justice. Tim Keller has defined justice as giving every individual their due based on them being created in the image of God. I see every person as a fellow image bearer. And, and I do what it takes to uphold and affirm the dignity that they have because they are an image bearer. So he says that God always seeks to correct the wrongs in the world. Now, sometimes God intervenes directly. But oftentimes, he chooses to use his own people as agents of justice. I'm in the text. Don't y'all get quiet on me now. I'm going to lean in now. Let me lean in on this part right here. For some of us in this room, help me, Holy Ghost. For some of us in this room, we are two issue voters. Abortion and homosexuality. And whoever lines up with all of you, that's who we vote for, no matter what else. And these are two huge matters, by the way. We must be proponents. That's justice uh, to, protect the, to protect the lives of the unborn. But Jesus messed me up a little bit about being a two-issue voter. Because Jesus had this to say to the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23 and 23. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. They just called them out, hypocrites. You tithe, deal, mint, and cumin. But you would think that Christ would pat them on the back for this. But he said, you neglected the weightier matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. He said, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. My question to you, church, and I don't care where you are on political spectrum, my question to you is, as a follower of Jesus Christ, how often do you think about justice when you get ready to vote? Not your sin-stained per 
system of justice, but God's idea of justice. I I'm about to. How much are you talking about voting for judges who will be impartial? This psalmist helps us to remember that we serve a God who is a God of justice, and justice is near and dear to the heart of God. Now, when I say justice, we kind of mess this up in America. When I say justice, we immediately go to things like Black Lives Matter. And I've already talked about that, so I'm not going to deal with that this morning. But, but God's idea of justice is much more comprehensive than that. Can I show it to you? Look at verse 7. He says, God is just because he gives food to the hungry. See, we, we've been so tainted by American values and American ideals that when we talk about feeding the hungry, we start immediately going to entitlements and enabling. But God says this is an issue of justice. These are people who have been created in the image of God. And how would you dare allow one of my image bearers just to go hungry? Uh, let me prove it to you that it's near and dear to the heart of God. It's not just sympathy here. He, when God, he, when, he, when God uh, uh, was getting ready to prepare his people to go into the promised land, he told them, he said, when you reap the harvest of your land, he said, don't reap to the very edges of your field or gather the grains of your harvest. He said, leave some for the poor. And let me get a whole lot of trouble here. And the immigrant. That's what God said, and then this is how he ended their verse. I am the Lord, your God. <laughs> when we read the prophets, the major and the minor prophets, when the, the prophets began to rebuke them for their sins and, and all the wrongs that they're doing, what we see over and over again is they, they are being rebuked for how they treated the poor. This is an issue of justice. He says not only does, does he feed the hungry, but he sets prisoners free. Now let's not go too far here, y'all. God is not just going around saying, uh, uh, I don't care what you do, you can, I, I'm, I'm going to let you free. Come on, come on out. But that's not what he's talking about here. That's against the, 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 that idea contradicts the very character of God. More than likely, what the psalmist is referring to here is he's talking about political captives. Remember, a nation will come and overtake one nation, and whoever was a part of this foreign nation, they then became slaves of the victorious nation. And so what the psalmist reminded he says, you who have been captives, by the way, he said, that's the God who will set you free from your captivity. That's the literal uh, uh, translation. It could very well be that the psalmist is saying, whatever your prison is, God can set you free from it. If it's pornography, God can set you free from it. If it's alcohol, God can set you free from it. If it's crack cocaine, God can set you free from it. If it's love and money, God can set you free from it. That's an issue that God has the power to deal with. He sets the prisoners free. Issue of justice. We're still talking about justice right now, church. And only but, but, but does he uh, uh, set prisoners free. But then skip with me to verse 8. It says, the Lord loves the righteous. 
He loves the righteous. And then watch this. He won't tell us what he means by that statement. Because we think righteous people are just saved people, and they are. Or, or righteous people are, are, are just real holy and pietistic people. But no, 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 no. When he says he loves the righteous, he's talking about those who do right by the most vulnerable in society. Okay, you don't believe me. Still in context, verse 9. He says, the Lord watches over the sojourners. Okay. The Lord watches over the immigrants. Now, I've already preached a message about immigration, so I'm not going to belabor this point. But let me just say this. All immigrants are not rapists, criminals, and terrorists. And the church said, God has a big heart for immigrants and so should his people. The righteous do right by immigrants. Not only do they do right by the immigrants, but they also do right by the widow and the fatherless. Look, the immigrant, the widow, and the fatherless were the most vulnerable people. They had the most difficult lives because they had no resources of their own. They were easily mistreated, easily taken advantage of. And God says, my people will love this, these classes of people because I love these people who have been created in my image. I got to get out of here. Let me close with verse 10. Here, here's how we handle Tuesday, November the 8th. We remember Verse 10 says that the Lord will reign forever. He, the, the psalmist says the way you handle Tuesday, November 8, 2016, is remember that God is the King of kings. And God is the Lord of lords. And both Hillary and Donald are going to have to bow down to the King of kings. And so he says remember that God is still on the throne. In the White House, I know he's in heaven. Sitting on his throne, ruling and reigning and governing Donald, Hillary, Gary, and Jill. Because I know, I know this has been an exhausting and depressing election cycle. But we've got hope. And our hope is in the God who created the heavens and the earth. Our hope is that the God who has given the keys of the kingdom to his son, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. And so I rest in this truth that God is sovereign. He reigns over whoever else is trying to reign. God is our help. Come on, worship him. God is our hope. Donald and Hillary are mortal. They don't die. And brother, Y'all stop saying, I hope whoever gets elected die in office so the vice president can take over. <laughs> All right. Now, I know y'all friends get the best of us sometimes. But I don't care whether it's Hillary or Donna or whomever. The Bible says that our response, first of all, is to pray for them. Whether you like Barack or not, you have a duty as a believer to pray for them. Well, if you like Donald or not, well, you have a duty to pray for him. And then, whoever in office, not only do we have a duty to pray for them, but we also have a duty to submit 
to them. And they obey. We respect them. And that's going to be our witness to the world. Don't we disagree with them? God is sovereign. Nothing. With man, they're going to die and their their plans are going to die with them. He lets us remember that God is sovereign that nothing or no one can frustrate the plans and purposes of God. Regardless of who wins on Tuesday, church, we remember that God is still on the throne. And so the psalmist, the psalmist ends with this. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand to your feet and join me as we praise God and remember that he reigns.